You're listening to the Biblicist Podcast, designed to equip, challenge, and encourage believers to look at life through the lens of Scripture. If you have any questions about today's episode or have a topic you would like to hear on this podcast, please email us at thebiblicistpodcast at gmail.com. And we are back. And whether you believe me or not, I am fairly confident that we are going to finish Romans 9 today. And I thought we could do it in three parts, and we're going to shoot for finishing it uh, today, even though we've only been through like six verses. But we're going to get there. And I'm really excited about this last section and the re- really the meat of the chapter as we go into this. Uh, so really, really excited about that. So without delay, let's jump right into the Word. Uh, we read last week in verse six, 6, Not as though the Word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son." And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So as we go through this, we'll see that Paul is making these arguments uh, against certain objections. He already knows their objections, and he's and he's uh, head on facing these objections uh, to Jesus, the the objections to the Savior, the objections to the gospel, and he's going to use the Old Testament. He's going to use Scripture, of the Old Testament, to declare and show uh, the the truth of the gospel, and that it's uh, for the Jews and for uh, the Gentiles. And this first objection. Is, is if Jesus was God, why would he reach out to the Gentiles? We're the ones who are Abraham's descendants. We're the ones who have counted in, uh, ca- continued in our religious practices given by God. We're the ones who have been faithful in the traditions passed down by generations. And, and really his, his response is, so what? You're a son of Abraham? Ishmael was a son of Abraham, but I chose Isaac for my divine purposes, not Ishmael. So what? You've been faithful in religious ordinances. Before Jacob could think or do anything, I chose him for my divine purposes. In the way that I sovereignly chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for my divine purposes, I have sovereignly chosen to reach out my hand of mercy to the world through Jesus. Because as we heard in the last section, the last part last week was that they wanted to claim on to traditions. They wanted to hold on to who they were born to. But then he makes this very clear. It's not about who you're born to. It's not about you holding on to these traditions. It's not about how you, it's about Jesus and how he has sovereignly chose to reach out into the world. And he's done it through Jesus. 
And so that's his objection to that. And he uses scripture for that. Now, a lot of people, this verse 13, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. That has brought up so much debate. And, and the kind of the easy response to that, instead of saying, oh man, how could he have hated Esau? God is love. How could he hate Esau? Well, my response to that direct type of question, even though it's worded incorrectly, is why, why would he love Jacob, the deceiver? Neither one of them deserve God's love. They both deserve God's wrath. They both deserve God's judgment, but he sovereignly chose to use Jacob to fulfill his divine purposes. But the deeper, more important answer to that is, is found really in, in the Gospels. It's found in Luke. And in Luke 14, 26, Jesus is teaching and he says this, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now that sounds very crazy. In fact, it sounds incorrect because Jesus also taught to love one another. And he also taught us to honor our, our parents. So why is he here saying that we need to hate our brothers and sisters and hate our parents and hate our own life? Well, it's a vernacular. It's a wordage that we don't really use. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's hard to put into words because it's not how we talk as, as Americans in English either. It's like, but it's, it's an extreme to make a point. And that is this, that no matter what anyone else does or says or anything, in the case of the, the, the Luke passage, I'm going to choose Christ. It doesn't matter. That's what he means by this, you got to hate them and choose me. It means that no matter what they beg, if they plead, if they offer you money, no matter what happens, I'm going to follow Christ. And in regards to Esau and Jacob, that's what is being said here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Esau would say or do or beg. It doesn't matter who he was born to. It doesn't matter what he says. He will not be picked for his divine purposes. Jacob has been picked for his divine purposes and he can't change that. And so this is his first response to, oh, it's, we, we reject the fact that he's reaching out to the Gentiles. We're the descendants. We're this. He goes, no, hey, I've sovereignly chose to do this just as I have sovereignly chose to do these things in your past. You can't stop it. You can't stop it. I am reaching out to the world. And the answer is Jesus. In verse 14, he says this, already knowing their objection. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? <laughs> They're saying, isn't that unfair of God reaching out to people who haven't worked for it? <laughs> That's their objection. This has to be unrighteous. This, is, this can't be right. This has to be unfair. Well, here is what uh, Paul says. What shall we, uh, God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Wow. What an amazing, incredible passage right here. They say it's unfair. But let's talk about fair. He's saying to them, who do you think you are? God had every right 
to judiciously harden their heart and destroy them. But God chose mercy. You celebrate the judgment against Egypt, but you were just as guilty. They say, it's not fair. This can't be fair of God. But Paul's saying what's fair is judgment. But God showed mercy. And they know their story. And they know this is true. That God gave mercy when they didn't deserve it. Just as they're arguing that the the Gentiles don't deserve this love. They don't deserve his mercy. It belongs to us. He said, you guys don't deserve it either. They know this. In Lamentations 3, in the Old Testament, it says this in verse 22 and 23, It is of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It is by the Lord's mercy that people are not consumed. It's by the Lord's mercy that Israel is not consumed. It's by the Lord's mercy that he reaches out to the Gentiles. And that's the response to this objection that it's not fair. Of course it's not fair. Fair is destruction. Fair is condemnation. But they're not done. They have another objection, and, and Paul addresses that as well. Uh, In verse 19, he says, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? So what they're saying here is, if Jesus is God, and we're so detestable to him, he has judiciously hardened us like Pharaoh. So it's his own fault that we didn't recognize him. Wow. 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 So they don't like this. They don't like him saying, have mercy on who have mercy, or harden who he harden. So they, okay, so fine, perfect. So if Jesus is God and this is somehow fair, it's not our fault. God made us this way. If you're talking about hardening, it, it, he, he made us this way. But here is the response. Verse 20, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? This isn't just random phraseology here. This isn't just an analogy he just pulled out of nowhere to talk to them about. He's quoting scripture. He's referencing Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. And what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, 
If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. He's referencing, he's quoting Jeremiah of the Lord being the potter and and talks about Israel being like clay, being molded for divine purposes. And and a potter notices the clay is not perfect. It's marred. It's been compromised. And the potter has every right to smash it and start over. He's saying he, he can do that. But instead, the potter is giving the clay. God is giving Israel opportunity to repent. You don't like how God is using your unbelief to reach the Gentiles. This is is the argument here. You don't like how God is using your unbelief to reach the Gentiles, but it happened this way. Why? Because you sought them by works and not by faith. It's the choices that they had made. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. This is this whole chapter is talking about. As he saith also in Osi, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Then the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath and has left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been there like unto Gomorrah. Whoa. Another powerful passage, that, and, and we've already talked about those last few verses there uh, in, in Romans 9, but whoa. This God has, has allowed you to go on living, has showed his mercies, not just so he could show you his mercy, but so he could show mercy to the world. And if it wasn't for leaving you alive and letting you live and letting you continue this promised seed down through generations, if it wasn't for, for God divinely using you for his purposes, you would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. It would all be destroyed. It would all be over if it wasn't for me. But no, I was willing to to put up with your sin. I was willing to give you mercy and grace that I might show mercy and grace to the world. Otherwise, it would be utter destruction. Why has he put up with the sin of the world? Why has he put up with all the evildoers in the world? That he might show each one of us his grace. That he might show us his mercy. Let's sum this up. Number one, we're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. Yet God has been faithful, merciful, and patient in bringing redemption to mankind through Jesus. Number two, we have failed God and he owes us nothing. But he's been faithful, merciful, and patient in bringing redemption to mankind through Jesus. Number three, we deserve earthly and eternal judgment. That would be fair. That would be justice. Yet God has been faithful, merciful, and patient in bringing redemption to mankind through Jesus. Number four, Jesus did not come 
because he wished, because we wished him to come. He did not come because we had great potential for good. He came because he sovereignly decided to be faithful, merciful, and patient in bringing redemption to mankind. Why? To what end? Why be faithful to a covenant that was broken? Why be merciful to hardened hearts? Why be patient with those that question God? Because he loves you. And he wants to save all who come to him in faith. So, to the believer here on the Biblist Podcast, you're a believer, listen here, submit to God's purposes for your life. If, if you try going in opposition to God, first of all, you won't win. Um, and second of all, you'll be miserable. <laughs> and to the unbeliever that might be listening in, repent, have faith. You can't wish your way into heaven. You can't work your way there. Submit now because one day everyone will submit. But by then... It'll be too late. Faith is simply letting go of what you thought was working and trusting that Jesus will catch you. And here is your question of the day. What king of Israel had a mother that counseled him to do evil? And what was the name of his great-grandfather? What king of Israel had a mother that what king of Israel had a mother that counseled him to do evil, and who was his great-grandfather? Read the Bible, live the Bible. Have a blessed day. <laughs> I knew Lamentations was in here somewhere. <laughs>